On the virtual Bible study tonight, we're going to take up some more interesting questions from our listeners. We didn't get done last week, Jacob, dealing with questions our listeners had submitted, and we've got more to add to the list. So we're going to, for the second week in a row, we're going to have our listener smorgasbord tonight. It's going to be an important discussion, a very interesting discussion, and we're going to get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you to the virtual bible study for thursday december 19th 2019 thank you for joining us on the program tonight my name is jacob Gwyn. my father greg Gwyn is here hello dad jacob great to be with you good to be with you kyle's behind the controls kyle welcome it's good to be here. glad you're here kyle glad that you're listening on the other end of the line the number is toll free 877-381-4567 the email address is questions at collegeview.com and the chat room is wide open if you're watching us live on the program tonight we want to hear from you in the chat room on some more interesting questions from our listeners. And actually, it's a couple of the leftovers and some more. We did a bad job of getting leftovers through Leftovers and week. more. Yeah, we're we call what we, leftovers and more. We're finishing what we started last week and adding some more to it. Uh, before we get into our questions, Jacob, a couple uh, housekeeping notes. One is daily Bible reading calendars. We've got them running out of time, ready to go. Need to, you need it's to get your crazy. request into us. I've been getting several requests. Send your request. Send us an email, questions at collegeview.com. And, but remember to include your snail mail address, and we'll get one right out in the mail to you. Plenty of time to get that before the new year begins. But the readings start on January 1, so you want to you want to get them ahead of time. Okay. Uh, we do now have new bumper stickers of the oval variety. Several people have been wanting those, and we've got oval-shaped bumper stickers now. So uh, if you would like to have one of those, uh, uh, get one and, uh, uh, send, again, send us a request with your mailing address so we can get those in the mail to you. All right. Uh, but, yeah, the Bible reading calendar, you're uh – you're gonna you want to get that in your hands as soon as possible. You know, there's only one more th- virtual Bible study of 2019. Isn't that crazy? crazy. It's hard to believe. Uh, another thing we want to push uh, is still a little ways off, but the last weekend in January, we're going to have a special meeting here at College View. Uh, Josh McKibben, who was with us on the program a few weeks ago by telephone, is going to be here in person to preach to us on Saturday the 25th and Sunday the 26th of January. Okay. We'll be getting more information out, but you might make a note on your calendar, on your Bible reading calendar, you know, to plan to come to Columbia on the 25th and 26th of January. If you're anywhere close uh, driving distance, you'll, you'll want to take that in. All right. So make plans for that. Uh, if you've got questions about any of those things, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. So questions we're dealing with tonight, you want to read them or are we no, just going to get them No, it's just too many and too long. We'll just go to them All one right. at a time. First one. But we're going to start out with one that was left over uh, from last week about taking addictive drugs. I sort of summarized the question when I sent it out to our mailing list. And by the way, we always remind you, get on our mailing list. If you're not, send us a, uh, a note to questions at collegeview.com. Say, put me on the list. We'll do that. This went out last week. I'm, I'm going to read this uh, from the actual email. It's a little more thorough. This, this emailer said, I, I've known people through the years who've been diagnosed with bipolar depression, severe anxiety, and other things. Some have been so bad that intense medical help was needed, and in other cases, it almost seemed like the person was just moody or occasionally unreasonable. Is it wrong to seek medical help rather than trying to control it alone? Uh, The thought process being we're told in the Bible to have self-control and that using medication would be a crutch, or else only reaching out for help if if one seems wrong, like suicidal or intending to hurt others and so forth, or else only reaching out for help if one, oh, I read that. What if a person believes something is wrong and friends or spouses don't think anything is wrong and discourage getting help? Would using my, here's the key, would using mind altering drugs that are potentially addicting to cope 
be wrong if it kept one from dwelling on the dark thoughts or hurting oneself or others. Uh, so the the question I, I summarized it by saying, if you had if there's a severe mental disorder, would it be wrong to use potentially addictive addictive drugs to cope with the problem, or should you just try to control that on your own? That's that's the question. Well, first off, some mental problems can be medical medical related, uh, and would require uh, some some help they're not they're they wouldn't some some mental problems could be something beyond just sinful temptations and and not having self-control i think that's right i think there is there there are conditions that deserve and need medical drug intervention i mean need help uh i think many of us are probably of the opinion that sometimes drugs are over prescribed when not necessary but there are clearly times when they are necessary and and beneficial and helpful and i think i think that any any argument we could make from the scriptures concerning caring for our bodies in other words do you take uh do you take an aspirin when you have a fever well yeah and we think that that's justifiable because that's helping take care of the body and and so any argument we would make concerning taking care of the body would be applicable here. Uh, and and so it's just going to have to be judged on a case-by-case basis, I think. Now, having said that, there are some mental conditions that are the result of not controlling yourself and not uh, resisting temptation like you should. And so those uh, conditions you would need uh, to approach from a biblical perspective. Yeah. I think probably we would say, like in all things, we should do for ourselves, everything we can possibly do. Sometimes it's beyond our own ability to help ourselves. This would be true, for instance, of I, I want to feed my family. I should do as much as I can for myself. Sometimes in Bible times, there were situations where outside benevolence was needed. But the principle is do for yourself what you can. Uh, and I think that would apply here. Certainly self-control, uh, uh, controlling your thinking and thought processes. We're instructed to do that. We should do as much of that we can. If it's a situation that just seems that we that a person's unable to address their mental problems on their own, then I, I don't think, I don't know any argument that I would offer that would say getting help medically is wrong. Right. It's, uh, it, it's going to be a, a, a one of deep, uh, reflection and uh, and you're going to require wisdom as to as how you handle that situation. You know, I, I need to do some self reflection. Am I am I struggling with depression uh, because because of, I've done because bad I, things? I've been I've been every time I see Kyle, I punch him in the nose. And you feel bad about it. I feel bad about it. You know, and, but I, maybe I should go see a doctor about that. Yeah. No. No. You know, God actually made us so that we're supposed to feel bad when yeah. we've done bad. Yeah. You know, and and I do think that sometimes the people's horrible anxieties and so forth are due to the fact that they're not dealing with the root cause in their life. But having said all that, I think we still got to come back to the fact that it, this is going to have to be judged on a case by case basis. And yeah. and certainly uh, we're sitting here behind these desks tonight. We we're not able to look out there into radio land and and tell everybody. You know, their specific case and what's going on, that's just going to have to be judged. Uh, I do think this would be a place where if, if I'm the one who's thinking that maybe I need some help, get some sound counsel from faithful brethren. They may be able to help. And maybe they'll say, you need a doctor. Yeah. Or maybe they will say, I think if you just do this and this and change this and that in your life, you're going to feel a lot better. And so uh, get sound counsel from faithful brethren. Daniel in Florida said uh, last week in his response, uh, he references, <coughs> excuse me, First Corinthians chapter six verse twelve. If one can avoid being brought under the power of a disorder or a drug, it is best. I'm no expert. I certainly don't have all the answers. Thank you, okay. very Daniel. And Kent said, great care needs to be taken in the use of controlled medication. I personally think it would be best to totally avoid the usage of such. However, if there is a medical need, such needs to be controlled uh, closely by a physician such uh, poses a real threat regarding that of addiction and there and there are and you know you'd like to think that if a person's a doctor they are obviously good and skilled and qualified and going to yeah. going to do the right thing and that, but that's not always the case i've said right 
That's right. Uh, and Mohan in Illinois, <coughs> excuse me, says it depends, I think. For some people, some of the prescribed drugs cause a lot of side effects and may not be good for them. For others, it does not cause too many side effects and may be helpful. Okay. Thank you, Mohan. Uh, let's see, we got anybody else? We got a lot of we got a lot of responses. That is it for uh, for that question tonight. Okay. All right. All right. So I, I really don't know more to say about that. That is the kind of a thing that you should is get really some, case specific. And you should get some counsel from you know, you know a spiritually minded person. So, uh, so this is different than a question like. Uh, should I, should report, I tell a lie? Yeah, should I tell a lie or should I report my taxes honestly? You know, that's 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 open and shut. Uh, and so we can answer that definitively in a case like this, though. These are these are situations that are case specific. There are biblical principles to apply, but I think they have to be applied in each specific case. OK, number five from okay. last week, number two for this week. Yeah. Let me read this one again from the email that was sent in. Is it okay for a church to deny the Lord's Supper to someone who has an unrepented sin, unrepented public sin in their life? And they linked to a news story wherein Joe Biden, who's a Democratic candidate for president, was denied communion by a South Carolina priest because he advocates abortion. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's kind of interesting. That just kind of ties it to politics of the day, you know, current events. But what about, so here's this guy, and he comes into our assembly. But we know that guy. And he is living in adultery. We know he is. He admits that he is, maybe. He won't change that. Should So so here we come to the part of our worship where we have the Lord's Supper. Should we instruct the guys who are passing the, the Lord's Supper elements uh, through the audience? Say, when you get to that guy, skip him because he doesn't. He can't. We're not going to let him have any uh, participation in this Lord's Supper because we know and he knows that he he's got sin in his life that he hasn't repented of. Well, let's go to the emailers tonight because I think they are very concise in how they responded. Daniel references First Corinthians eleven twenty eight and twenty nine, where we're told to examine ourselves. He says the examination is personal. The damnation is from the Lord. So that you Daniel could says, uh, you leave it to the uh, Lord. Good point, Daniel. You could eat and drink damnation to your soul. It says in that text, First Corinthians eleven twenty-eight twenty-nine. So it's not just it's it's not anything it's to not be a taken lightly. Matter. It's not to be taken lightly. But he does say that Paul he, places the uh, the necessity on the individual to examine themselves. Yeah, uh, I think that's right. Kent says the New Testament does not give police power over those who may observe the Lord's Supper to any individual Christian. The Lord's Supper does not belong to the church. It belongs to the Lord. Individuals who partake of such may have impended at sin in their lives and may be in a lost condition. They may eat and drink condemnation to their own souls by eating the Lord's Supper in an improper manner. However, all we can do is to present the truth to them. They have to make the final decision. We do not have scriptural authority to establish the practice of neither closed nor open communion. You know, if you think about it, this this reflects the wisdom of God in in not placing such a you know uh, a responsibility on us to police the Lord's Supper, because here here's a guy we know him we know he's he he is he's way out there he's wrong he's just not trying to live right off we know him but here's another guy sitting over in the other corner he may have he may have the same exact sin in his life and we don't know it. Yeah. Uh, you know, he hasn't repented either. This guy is more publicly known. That guy is more his sin, although it's the identical sin. In his case, we haven't discovered that yet. He knows about it, but we don't know about it. How are we going to police that? Well, the other fact of the matter is that uh, I, each of us have a, a, our hands full examining ourselves. Exactly as we right. I don't need to be up in your business. I need to be thinking about mine yeah. as, we, as I partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Dwight says the reference is 1 Corinthians 11, 27, and 20, 28. It speaks of eating the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way and that we are to examine ourselves. If one has public sin in their life and not repented of it, it is our responsibility to go to them and restore them. Galatians 6, verse 1, that's our responsibility. If they don't repent, we have the obligation to withdraw from them. If they choose to assemble and partake of the Lord's Supper, they are the ones who will answer to God. I have a responsibility to God to follow what the scriptures state in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 11, and 2 Thessalonians 3. Concerning withdrawing. Yeah. And so, you know, it could even be the case, and I think Dwight's right on there, it could be the case that here's a guy in our assembly. We've actually, we've actually exercised church discipline yeah. toward him. We've actually withdrawn from that guy. 
But he still comes and he still sits there and he takes the Lord's Supper. Well, that's, that's, he's going to have to answer to God for that. Yeah. So we, we can just leave it at that. Leave it at that. <laughs> Stephen says maybe the individual is thinking of 1 Corinthians 11, 12, 27 through 29 with respect to examining themselves, which is actually dealing with the memorial aspect of the Lord's Supper, not sin in one's life. Whether personal or public, we all have sinned and still partake of the Lord's Supper. Would you allow a non-Christian partake of the Lord's Supper? Would it be more beneficial to offend someone who may later repent since the invitation is given after the sermon and usually the order is with the Lord's Supper first? I would allow a non-Christian partake of the Lord's Supper because it means nothing to them and they are already in sin, so why would it matter? Well, we'll talk about that. If a brother or sister is unrepentant, the better question is why have they not withdrawn been withdrawn from I realize that some may not agree, but if the, a brother or sister is unrepentant and refusing to repent, uh, I believe the church has a right to tell them to never come back until they are ready to repent because you would be having fellowship with such an individual. Usually the thinking is that they should keep coming to church in hopes that they will repent, but I don't see this as wise because the purpose of withdrawal is to get them to come back to God. But how can we do that if we continue socializing with such an individual and do not allow them to hit rock bottom as the prodigal son? If the church functions as it should, it would withdraw from an unrepentant brother or sister, and that would resolve the issue. Well, I like the last part. In other words, uh, if we, you know, instead of worrying about whether they, because uh, the questioner said, here's a case of unrepentant, publicly known sin in their life. Well, if that's, if that's the case, then the real issue is why it's not, it's, the important question is not, should we let them participate in the Lord's Supper? The important question is, should we follow the scriptural rules about withdrawing from such a person? Yeah. And we should let them hit rock bottom, as you yeah. said. But I, I would not agree with the expression in Steve's uh, uh, note where he says, tell them to never come back until they're ready. You know, we're not, again, we, not only do we not practice closed communion, we don't practice closed assemblies either. And we're not inviting people to not come. And so if this brother, and if we may, and maybe we have withdrawn from him, if he chooses to come, then... The doors are open. We're not going to bar the door. And by the way, the fact that they sit in our assembly is not socializing. This is not a social function. But now it can bleed over. In other words, afterwards, so we're all we're all going to McDonald's for lunch after. Well, we're not. Ta- he's not going to McDonald's for lunch with us because it it would it would pass then from a worship activity to a social activity. Yeah. And and I do think withdrawing is very specifically the avoidance of social interaction. Yeah. But I, but I I, I'm a, I would differ with Stephen a little bit on that on, on the application. But I think his point is a good one. The real question is why haven't we withdrawn from him? Have we withdrawn? It's not the question is not are we clo- are we going to give him a, a a chance to eat the bread and drink the cup. The question is, are we going to do our job of trying to restore him? Okay. All right. Thanks for those responses tonight. I uh, appreciate our listeners for that. We're over time for a break. When we get back, what question are we going to next? We're going to new questions next. Well, so that, that's the leftovers from last week. Uh, and so we got some new questions. And uh, the, this next one is a tough one. Uh, no words. Uh, for a Christian, do you... Do you uh, when you, as soon as you sin, have you, are you out of fellowship with the Lord? Uh, or is, is, how does that work? You know, in right. other words, if, as soon as I sin, uh, am I lost until I re- confess and repent? Uh, we'll talk about that. We're going to get that Tough on question. the other side of the break. And uh, we need listeners to chime in in the chat room tonight. If you've not signed in, it's easy. Sign in the chat room and share your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. There's more of the virtual Bible study to come after these important messages. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. 
The only ones who are really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. Contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want, but the realization of how much you already have. Man, wish I'd said that. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. And we are back on the program as we look at interesting questions from our listeners again tonight. And we're glad for our listeners uh, for participating in the program by suggesting these questions for us tonight. We really like to do this, I think. And, and, it, and it seems like the listeners like it, too, because we get a good audience response when we do these kind of yeah. questions. And at least one person is going to be interested in the topic. We yeah. know that. So. Yeah, exactly right. All right. All right, so here's now, now we're moving into new territory, everybody. So these are some questions because we actually asked people to send in some questions so we could flesh out a, a whole program yep. this week, and yep. people did did yep. so Thank did it that. well. Yeah. Now this one was actually sort of semi-submitted last week in response in in a response uh, to a question. Some additional questioning was asked, and so we've made this a question for itself. When exactly does someone go from light to darkness after they have obeyed the gospel? So this is talking about Christians. Some believe when you fall into any sin, such as deliberately running a red light, you go immediately from light into darkness until confessing and repenting. Others believe as long as you are walking in the light as a disciple, when you fall into a, fall into sin and refuse to confess, uh, so you fall into sin, but then refuse to confess and repent the sin, that is when you go into darkness. Not every time you sin. No, so you don't fall into darkness every time you sin. You just fall into darkness when you sin and you refuse to repent and confess. Okay. So which is it? All right. Well, this is this is a really, really tough question. It's, it's, a, it's a, a, a very controversial subject. A, a, a number of years ago, oh, 30 years ago, 25 to 30 years ago, this was really being hotly debated uh, among our brethren. Uh, and, a, and a key text that always comes to question is 1 John chapter 1, beginning verse 7. It says, if we, well, start verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we say that we have no sin, we can deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So there's a lot of... There's a lot of attention paid to the verb walk. Verse 6 talks about walking in darkness. Verse 7 describes those who walk in the light. Now, the, the, the verb walk there denotes a normal course of action. The normal course of action is a person to to walk in light. He's not out here. He's not out here living a life of sin. He's not out here purposefully violating the will of God. He's not a guy who's just completely ignoring the will of God in his life. He's trying to serve God. He's, he's making an effort to, to be right, do right, stay right. Mm -hmm. That's contrasted with walking in darkness. The, the guy who's walking in darkness, walk, the word walk, the verb walk means a, a habitual or continual course of action. Mm -hmm. So his continual course of action is to sin. He does not care. He's going to do as he pleases, and thoughts of serving God are completely foreign to his mind. He's walking in darkness. So we understand that. So what happens to the, the, we're not worried about the guy who's walking in darkness because he's not even trying. What about the guy whose normal walk, his normal course of action is to try and serve the Lord? He's walking in the light, but he sins. Uh, what happens when he sins? Well, verse 7 says the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And there have, some, there have been some who have said, that's automatic. If you're walking in the light, you don't even have to think about it. That just happens for you. Uh, uh, I, uh, one preacher several years ago, many years ago, when this was a hotly debated subject, said it's like a windshield wiper on a car. It just comes and just swipes it away, swipes it away. You don't even have to think about it. The, the, the blood of Christ just washes it away. And you don't even have to consider it. It's not even, you don't, you don't even have to uh, consciously Consider it. It's taken care of. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. I think that's wrong, and I think this context actually says that it's wrong. 
Because verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 9 actually qualifies what it's meant when it says the blood of Christ cleanses. It's not an automatic windshield wiper. It involves us confessing and repenting. Now, uh, and so... My answer would be there's no automatic cleansing. I don't care how good a person you are, how how typically you are walking right. When you sin, you've got to deal with that sin. And so let me take the, the example that was used by our questioner. What about the guy who deliberately runs the red light? What am I going to tell him about deliberately breaking the law? I'm going to tell him he needs to repent of that and seek forgiveness. Just like I would any, you name the sin. And my answer concerning that sin is repent and pray for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. It's not going, my answer will never be. Well, don't worry about it. It's already taken care of. It's automatic. I never, I, I will never say that because I can't, I can't justify that from the word of God. So name the sin and I'm going to say, repent. Now, he, he asked, the when exactly does one go from light to darkness? So, I think, that, I think that probably makes the question unanswerable because when exactly it happens is in God's control, not mine. Uh, but I can't say, I, again, I couldn't say from the scripture, well, I think you're all right for 15 minutes. I think you're all right till you go to bed tonight and lay your head on a pillow and say you're nighttime prayers. But now if you wait till tomorrow morning, that's too long. You're in darkness. I can't say that. There's no Bible on that. Yep. All I can preach is what I know, and what I know is repent and pray for forgiveness. Yeah. And, uh, and I think we get ourselves in a world of trouble when we try to go beyond what is revealed. Now, does God have some mechanism for that? Some people say, oh, man, the bookkeeping on God's end must would, would be crazy out of control. He's in, he's out, he's in, he's out. You know, he runs the red light, he's out. He prays, he's back in. But in the next quarter mile, he breaks the speed limit by three miles per hour. He's back out and he's back in. You know, that's all on God. And by the way, I think God is fully capable of keeping control keeping track of all that sort of stuff you know you hear people argue about this or you know want to make a point like the guy's not doing that guys and it's all it's all their emotion their feeling yeah. you know, it's their their think so there's we don't have scripture on that and yeah. you need to leave that to god yes and that's why i think dealing with questions like this we got to be really really careful because all we can preach and teach is what we know what has been revealed to us and what's been revealed to us is when we sin repent Confess, repent, pray for forgiveness because we're talking to Christians. We're not talking to aliens. Yeah. We're talking to Christians. And someone and, who's walking in the light, that's going to be their first response. Yeah. I, I just I just messed up. I just uh, violated God's will for my life. And I want to fix that right now. Yeah. Notice right there in that, from, in that famous text, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The if is the condition, and there's a condition for us to meet. And we just cannot offer hope to someone and say, well, that one that one didn't matter, or you got you got 24 hours to I know repent. I shouldn't run the red lights, but that's just so much fun. I was in a big hurry. I was in a hurry. You know, you got to get to work, and it's, it's okay. You know, and, and, and back 30 years, 25, 30 years ago when this was being debated, so often the arguments were based upon hypothetical, you know. So what about the guy and he's going down the highway and the speed limit is 55 and he thinks he's doing 55, but his speedometer is off and he's actually doing 56 instead of 55. So he's sinning and doesn't even know he's sinning. And so if there's not some automatic cleansing like the windshield wiper, then he's, we're all going straight to hell. I, I just don't think, uh, to me, that 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 argument carries no weight whatsoever because I, I really think that even things like the speed limit law are written by by the civil authorities with an intention. And if I went by a police, uh, you know, here's a state trooper out there on the four lane, and he watches me go by at 56 miles an hour, I think I'm doing 55, but I'm actually, his radar gun says 56. He's not even going to blink twice because in his, in his view, I'm a law-abiding citizen. Now, if I go by there at 
86, he's coming right after me because I'm clearly in violation of the law. But 56, I'm not even violating the law. I'm within the, I'm within the realm of what the law is written to include. Yep. I'm, I'm doing what the law intends. All right. Kent says, in consideration of Acts 28-22, as well as 1 John 1, 6-9, the child of God goes from light to darkness when sin is committed. I certainly do not disagree with the fact that God provides a cleansing from sin for the fallen Christian. However, in light of the above passages, such a cleansing is conditioned upon repentance of sin, confession, and prayer. To contend for unconditional continuous cleansing implies a modified form of impossibility of apostasy or umbrella grace heresy. Okay. Uh, Dwight says, is it, Dwight's in the chat, a chat room tonight out in Ames, Iowa. He says Simon the Sorcerer is a good example of having to repent. And then he sent an email earlier and today. And by the way, Simon the Sorcerer, you can almost see how that was a, a real weakness in his, in his, on his part. Because he had had control over all the people mm-hmm. uh, for so long, and, and he'd, like to get, he'd like to have that back. Yeah. Uh, so he was really weak in that realm, but he had to repent. And Dwight also sends in an email uh, tonight. Uh, he's, he's looking for extra credit here with an email and a comment in the chat room. Dwight says, no sin is uh, too small or great in God's sight. So when one commits adultery or murders... Or runs a red light. We sin, period. Isaiah 59, verse 2 teaches us that our iniquities, our sins, have made a separation between you and God. It is at the point of sin we separate ourselves from God, no matter the severity. Uh, He he goes on. John 9, 31 teaches us that God does not hear the prayers of sinners. When we confess and repent of those sins, we are found faithful to God. Okay. All right. Thank you, Uh, Dwight, for that. Uh, Mohan. Michelle in the chat room says, James 5, 16 says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. Uh, so we're supposed to confess again, stressing that we need, we can't just expect our sins to be taken care of without us doing anything. I think is what Michelle is saying. God knows the intents of our hearts. I believe that's true too. All right. Mohan uh, says, uh, by comparing the first uh, John one passage with other parts of the Bible, I believe that someone walking in the light as a lifestyle, we bef- will be forgiven if they incidentally sin, uh, incidentally sin as long as they confess and repent of the sin they are aware of examples that are clearly given in the bible of when 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 someone goes into darkness or loses their salvation are when they turn to a different gospel as was written in the book of galatians when they start walking in sin like simon the sorcerer did stop living as a disciple of jesus as a result of not obeying him or start living in sin like adultery fornication etc i believe a person with an addiction who once obeyed the gospel is presently serving two masters and following after idolatry, so is in darkness. However, I believe a person in that addiction situation who cares about his situation and is seeking to overcome has not yet been given to a reprobate mind, so there's hope for such a person to get back into light by truly repenting. I agree with the vast majority of what Mohan has written there. However, there's one. I have one objection, and it's early in the comment where he says, if... A person who's walking in the light will be forgiven if they incidentally sin as long as they confess and repent of the sin they are aware of. And so, actually, there's, I think a distinction is being made there that's not in the Scriptures. That is, the sin I intend to do, purposeful, willful sin. versus Now, the Scriptures actually do talk about willful sin, and, and I think the Scriptures also talk about inadvertent sin. But I don't think that, the, that how we handle those is different. Think of it practically this way. So here's a guy. He's, actually, he's, he's really trying to live a good life. But he is actually in a, an adulterous marriage relationship. He doesn't know it. Mm-hmm. Happens. It happens all the time because in our world today, there's not a lot of teaching on marriage, mm-hmm. divorce, and remarriage. Even in churches of Christ, I know preachers who won't teach on that subject. They say it's too controversial. And so there's a, there's a, there, there's a distinct probability that someone could be living in adultery and not even know it. Mm-hmm. So wh- what should we do? Well, if he's okay as long as he doesn't know it, the best thing we could do is just keep quiet. Yeah. You know, don't don't teach on that subject because if you teach on it and he becomes aware that his marriage is unscriptural, now he's got to do something about it. Whereas before, when he was ignorant of it, he was he was safe. See, see the see the yeah. uh, ugly consequence of this idea that as long as we uh, uh, if we sin unintentionally, unknowingly, we'll repent of the ones we know of. But the ones we don't know of are, are cleansed 
sort of automatically. I think it's real dangerous ground to get on. All right. Uh, we're way over time for a break. Uh, Daniel, though, responded to Romans 6, verse 2. We have died to sin to no longer live in sin, and the wages of sin is death. <clears throat> we need to deal with sin as soon as possible. Yeah, and I think we should pray to know our sins, to to, yeah. to have that knowledge and, and be able to perceive our own sins. Good point. All right, let's get a break and uh, get this week's bullet point. When we come back, what about Bible class? We've never talked about this before. When, at what age should kids start going to Bible class? Well, okay. Uh, how about the, it's a, it's a one number response in the chat room tonight. You don't even have to put years behind it. You just put a number there and we'll take your responses on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Don't go anywhere. You might miss something. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. There are some difficult things that God commands us to do. For instance, it's hard to go to a brother or sister who has sinned, look them in the eye and tell them that they must repent. It would be much easier to simply look the other way. But God says we must go to them, Luke 17, verse 3. It's hard to approach a weak Christian, point out their serious neglect of duty, and urge them to turn back to God. It would be easier to just let it slide. But God says we must speak to them, Galatians 6, verse 1. It's hard to finally withdraw yourself from a disciple who has sinned and refuses to repent. It would be easier to ignore the situation and act as though nothing had happened. But God said such action must be taken. 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 5. To all of you who obediently do these difficult things, we express our thanks and admiration. You are truly the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Matthew 6, verses 13 through 16. May we say a word to those of you who might be on the receiving end of such actions? We hope you understand that your brothers and sisters take no delight in doing such things. It gives them no perverse sense of pleasure. There's no morbid gratification that comes from this. Surely you can see that it is truly difficult. Your fellow Christians can think of a thousand things they'd rather be doing. There's absolutely no enjoyment in this, but they do it anyway because they know two things. One, God commands them to do so, and two, it's in your best interest. Please try to understand this, and if it becomes necessary for someone to come to you in a conscientious effort to serve God and you, please respect them for it. Respect them even if you don't agree with them, knowing that they are doing one of the really hard things that God calls upon his people to do. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America. And I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. We are back on the program. Reminding you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Our website is thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Our address of our physical meeting place is on our website. And if you are anywhere near Columbia, Tennessee, we would be honored if you would come and visit with us. Uh, we look forward to meeting you in person. Uh, find out more about our meeting place and time of meeting at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And if you want to check it out before you come, Kyle, you can help us with that. Uh, made any new playlist on our website for sermons or, or topics? No, which we have, uh, of course, we have the Genesis study going on. We have our epistle, uh, Peter, uh, Peter, Peter, yeah. yeah. So that's a good playlist we have going. So it's uh, it's some really a lot of good stuff on there. So it's trying to, which I am uh, work with other people here, other men here to work with the uh, getting the streaming going. So, so you're we'll, not complaining about the video quality. I mean, you're not taking credit for all oh, of I the think, poor well, video no, quality well, no, that I've been putting uh, up there. Hey, the buck stops with me. Okay, I'm like Harry Truman. Okay, <laughs> all right. So no, I've, I'm responsible <laughs> some, for, for some poor video quality, but hopefully. Uh, it's getting better, but thank you, Kyle, for doing that. Um, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you at any time. If you have a question about something you've heard or you have a question about anything in the Bible, questions at collegeu.com. You can remain anonymous. Just put in your email that you'd like to remain anonymous. You know, some people, people are like, ah, I wouldn't want to send in a question because they'll read my name. I don't want them to know. No. As you can see tonight, these questions have been kept anonymous. And if you want to be particularly careful about that, just tell us, hey, I w this is a, a, a question I want to submit anonymously. And um, and here you go. Maybe we ought to put a form on the website so people can just send it in without their email being attached. Maybe we ought to do that. Uh, we're not we're not giving away emails anyway. That's so. right. Right. Some people might be a little bit nervous about that. Okay. Michelle's um, responded. Oh, by, by the way, I was gonna I was gonna say, remember if you're gonna if you want to look if you want to see our live Bible studies and worship services, that's a different stream. There's a different YouTube channel. So you're watching tonight on the virtual Bible study channel. But you got to go to College View live stream 
if you want to watch the worship services and live Bible studies. But all of that's linked on our website. Okay, so the question was about uh, when do you start sending kids to Bible class. Michelle said, I have had as young as two in my class uh, that I taught. The simplest answer is the younger the better, and also consistency is key. Don't take kids uh, part of the time. I think Michelle that's says a, do it. And do I think it that's a really important answer, the consistency part. I, I, you know, I've actually known brethren who got kind of upset about this question uh, in times past. I knew one preacher who said that he thought that sending toddlers to Bible class was just a, a, a babysitting session. Uh, most folks didn't agree with him about that. Uh, I think it actually caused a little strife. Uh, I think little ones begin to learn some valuable lessons. They It's pretty amazing how quickly they can pick up on on the simple Bible stories, mm-hmm. uh, we do a thing here on at College View on Sunday evenings before Sunday night worship service. We have what we call our children's Bible drill, and we get the kids up front and we we recite the books of the Bible and we ask them questions about Bible characters and events. And it's pretty amazing how yep. how quickly they pick up on it. And I, I, so uh, obviously a a, a six week old baby. Is not going to get anything out of a Bible class. Uh, six months old, maybe a year old. Yeah, I think a year old begins. A, a child, a year old begins yeah. to 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 learn some real things. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, that's a judgment call. Uh, uh, nobody's mandating here. It's a judgment call. Well, here's what Kent said. He says we need to expose our children to the influence of the Scriptures as soon as they are born. Obviously, newborn children do not understand what is being stated to them. However, they are still coming into contact with biblical concepts and will be accustomed to hearing biblical language when they have developed a stage of learning. So there you go. So, uh, yeah. uh, and you know what? A, a, a six-month-old baby that's been brought to services has already learned something because you'll see a big difference between a six-month-old baby that's been brought to services consistently and one that's never been in church services just in the way that they act, yeah. just their conduct. Jared says, I know two-year-olds who are capable of memorizing facts and songs and recall them with or without prompting months later. So I think Jared might live with one of those uh, children. So thank you, Jared, uh, for that good comment tonight. Um, Dwight uh, says, uh, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 uh, says, I believe, or Proverbs 22, verse 6, I believe, teaches parents to train up a child in the way it should go. Start as soon as that child hits your arms. There's no age limit as to when one should send their children to Bible class, and little children learn many things early on. If your child is still an infant, less than eight months, give or take, and the class is more of a baby babysitting option, then we need to consider who is really benefiting from the babysitting class. Uh, Ephesians 6, verse 4 says, Fathers are to bring up children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When a child is uh, of the age to be instructed, they can learn. It varies from child to child. Yeah, you, it does, but... Um, you know, we don't. Uh, we start early with things like you know ABCs and uh, and and other things. Even though the child it may be beyond them at the time, we want to go ahead and not take any chances, get them started as early as possible. Why not start as soon as they're born with uh, you know singing the Bible songs to them or you know it, 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 mothers sing lullabies to their children. Yep. And you know, Jesus loves me. They'll re- they're learning something from that. There's something there that that uh, affects the, the the minds of those children. There you go. Uh, Angela says, my sister-in-law and I started a Bible class just before our kids turned two, and they know a lot from the the class. I think the material matters a lot. If you're doing babysitting type material, then they won't get much. Uh, but if you're serious about it, they learn. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that that is important. Is it? We're not we're not having a class for fun and games. It needs to be serious. Uh, so they need to be learning. Yeah, and and, and you know, even, and this is even for kids as they get a little older. You know, I, I don't think that Bible class needs to be arts and crafts class either. You know, it needs to be. But now, obviously, they learn by by having something to hold in their hand. So obviously, appropriate handouts are one thing. But you know, just have, just making it a craft class is probably not what we're there for either. Yeah. Uh, Daniel says, as soon as they can learn, being able to behave is also helpful, but that is part of learning too. That's right, Daniel. Thank you for that. All right. We got to go quick, Jacob. We got, 
Now, the last three questions all came from the same listener, so we'll try to fly through these pretty fast. Let's grab our last break. When we come back, we'll go to the top of the hour. All right, here we go. Last break. Go to the top of the hour right after this. Got a question about something you've heard on the virtual Bible study? Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, Give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A survey has shown that four principal problems cause the vast majority of people to leave a church. They are unresolved conflict, gossip, no effective teaching, and inhospitality. These reasons were seen in over 90% of people surveyed and interviewed. Over 85% reported no one ever called, visited them, or asked why they left within the first four months after leaving. 82% stated that if they were visited and given a reason and or an apology resolving the conflict, or if action was taken to resolve it, they would return. That information is via churchleadership.org. The Word of God says in Romans 12, verse 10, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The virtual Bible study rolls along. We're back going to the top of the hour tonight, and we've got three more questions. Real quickly, on the last one about kids going to Bible class, Kevin is down in Tampa, Florida tonight. Thanks for t- signing in, Kevin. He says 18 months old is pretty common for putting children in Bible class. The children need to sit with their parents until then so that neither the child or the parent misses out on other portions of the classes that are offered. I agree that a child that is used to being in a class or worship setting becomes more attentive to the environment that they're in. They are better behaved. Okay. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you for that, Kevin. All right. Uh, last uh, three questions tonight. Those All right. Real quickly. One. Here's the first one. Address this idea. God is in control. Some believe God controls everything that happens in day-to-day living. A neighbor once told me she had the exact, the exact change in her pocket for something she had to pay for and that God was the one who took care of that. Mm. Is God really concerned about who wins a ball game, a car race, or whether someone's YouTube account is shut down? Just read that one, she said. Uh, I, I, I think the, the, the question is asked and answered. I, I, I agree. I don't think God cares. Who wins a ball game? You know, the, the 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 thing that always just drives me crazy, you know, so here's a boxing match, and the guy has just beaten his opponent bloody, and uh, and then he thanks God for the victory. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Uh, I don't think God cares about those things. Uh, you know, God doesn't have a Super Bowl favorite. No. You know, I think we, we try to assign too much to God. God, God, God is... Fine with our decision. In other words, should I take this job in Tennessee or should I take the job? Where does God want me to? Or should I take the job that's offered in Arkansas? God doesn't care. As long as I'm faithful in Tennessee or in Arkansas, he's fine with either one of those choices. God does. God just God wants me to be a faithful disciple. And so. I'm I'm the one making the decisions. I mean, he's not controlling. If he controls every aspect of my life, then I'm not actually really a free moral agent. I am a free moral agent, I, and God lets me make choices, and he's and, he, and he's for me, and he's with me in regards to the decisions I make as long as I am faithful in service to him. Let's see what Kent says. Kent says, this question implies the concept of divine providence. When we discuss providence, whether it be general or special, 
We are discussing the wisdom and power which God continually exercises in the preservation and government of the world for the ends which he proposes to accomplish. Providence is God working behind the scenes. We must distinguish between that which is miraculous and that which is providential because in providence, God works behind the scenes. We cannot dogmatically assert uh, that with human knowledge, a specific happening is necessarily providential. One cannot, with absolute knowledge, state that having the exact amount of money in one's own possession for a purchase is a result of divine providence. God does work providentially in the affairs of humanity, but he never works, number one, in conflict with divine attributes or the scriptures. Number two, does not negate humanity's free will or moral agency. Number three, does not come about by divine coercion. Number four, must always be distinguished from the miraculous which seized upon the completion of the New Testament of Christ. During the days of biblical revelation, there were inspired men to interpret providential acts. While God does continue to act providentially in the world today, we do not have inspired men to interpret God's providence for us. I think that's key. I think Ken's right on there. Uh, We believe God is active in the world today. God does bless his people and cares for his people and provides things needed for his people. And and it's not miraculous. We know the age of miracles has ended, so it's providential. But by the very nature of providence, you can't prove it. So to say I have exact change because that's what God worked out for me. But you can, that, that's a that's a that's a a vain claim. It's 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 a worthless claim. You couldn't prove that if your life depended upon it. Uh, and 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 I think it trivializes God. I think it trivializes God's care for us that He would care that we have the exact change in our pocket. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm I'm actually offended by that suggestion that God would would do that. Uh, yeah, God cares. He, he cares for His people. He provides for His people. His providence is active in our lives. But that's just, could I just say that's silly? Yeah. I guess you just did. <laughs> uh, Dwight says, First Corinthians 10, verse 15, God is faithful to not allow you to be tempted above what you are able. In our lives, God helps us through his word. We study God's word. We learn and our faith increases. Things like making it all the way through town without hitting a single red. Oh, boy, that's great. Traffic right there, I like that. It has nothing to do with how God helps us. You don't think God helps me get through the traffic Some people lights. would say, oh, I made it to work without one ride. Like, that God was turning the lights for me. Well, having the exact amount of change to pay for a candy bar. Was God in control of that? What's that, Kyle? He made the other guy late. So, So, hey, hey, what about that? So this morning I made it through all the stoplights without stopping and I got to work on time. But tomorrow morning I hit every light and I'm five minutes late. Did I do something wrong? Is God against me today? it's not your turn. He was for me yesterday, but is he against me today? Well, here's what he says. Having the exact amount of uh, change to pay for a candy bar, was that was God in control of that? What if I didn't have the exact uh, exact amount to, or more to pay for it? Is that a sign from God that I'm in sin or I'm over on my sugar if I'm a diabetic? He says, I do believe God's watch. God watches out for his children in different ways, though. Okay. So we, we, we all believe in providence, but so the, the idea that God is going to do those sort of things that is suggested is just, uh, again, silly, I think. Daniel says, so Luke 12, verse 17, God knows everything, that uh, everything, nothing could happen without him suffering it to be. But Jeremiah 18, verses 9 through 10, God also allows free will and also chance is referred to a few times in the Bible. Luke 10, 31, Ecclesiastes 9, 11. It may be God lets some things just happen. That's right. God's not responsible for everything that happens in the world. Uh, but God does allow things to happen. Exactly right. Angela says we can always thank God for anything and everything that happens, whether it's meant to be or not. And Michelle says it seems like if one person gets the exact change they need and yet there are third world countries with no money at all would make God a respecter of persons in my estimation. Uh, yeah. So he's making sure you have the right change for your candy bar. But there's another guy over there uh, who's starving to death. What's God? What's what's with God here? There's a lot of unintended consequences when you take those kind of faulty positions. Again, it's getting into things that we don't know. And speaking to that effect, Kyle, you know, that gets you into trouble. Real quick, we've got to move, Jacob. Next question. What can wives do when husbands are overbearing, abusive to them or the children, and still what can the wife do and still be obedient to the Lord? Can she call law enforcement, get away, and so forth? So here's a wife, and she's got an abusive husband. She, her husband beats her. Uh, he abuses the children. 
maybe maybe he not only beats them, maybe he sexually abuses the children. What can she do? I believe that she can call law enforcement. That's you know if you if you read and we're just short on time, but if you read in Romans chapter thirteen about what God ordains the law, uh, the civil government to do, he is specifically law enforcement is for uh, the. Uh, that he's the minister of God to thee for good. If thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he bears not the sword in vain. He is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And so I think that that she should use such resources that are part of God's plan for tr- dealing with evil of that mm-hmm. nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, can can she do that sort of thing? Could could she grab up her children and get out of the house when he's in a drunken rage and he's beating them? I, th- I think she could. I think it would be certainly within her, her prerogative. I think the, the whole concept of self-preservation is, uh, and I think that's taught in the scriptures, would come to play. I think she can do those sort of things. Here's what uh, Kent says. Fornication and or adultery is the only authorized basis for scriptural divorce today, Matthew 5, 32, 19, 9. However, when, a marriage, when in a marriage, a husband becomes so abusive as to endanger the lives of their wives or children, these family members have every right to appeal for legal protection by law enforcement and the courts to protect their physical lives. This is not authorized divorce for other reasons than what the New Testament has set forth in yeah. Matthew 532. I, I think that's really important to stress, as Ken did. And the other yeah, we're not response. saying she could divorce him because he's abusive, yeah. but she could protect herself and her children. The other respondents have similar answers. Dwight says wives who are mistreated or abused by their husbands, whether the man is a Christian or not, have the right to seek help. No difference than if a man breaks into your home and starts to hurt your family. Will you not seek to stop the intruder? The wife, if being abused, has the right to call the police to seek help or to run out the door to prevent getting hurt. Divorce, on the other hand, is not an option for these instances. And Daniel says, Romans 13, verses 3 through 5, the law is there to protect Christians, but if the brethren, but the brethren there are there to help as well. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 6. If the situation can be handled before it gets out, so out of hand, that is best. But sometimes it may already be out of hand. Okay, I think Thanks, we're all pretty much in agreement on that. Um, and the final mm-hmm. question, we're just all but out of time. Final question. Some Christians become upset because the Ten Commandments are being removed from public places like town squares and so forth. Yeah. Should we be concerned since we're no longer in law? No, should, as, as a Christian, should I get worked up because they've taken down the Ten Commandments monument down on the courthouse square? Uh, Which was under the law of Moses. We could prove that from the scriptures if we had to. That, yeah. that, that was The Ten Commandments were part of the law of Moses. Yeah. yeah. Two, I, I guess there's a two-sided coin there. We are concerned because our society is becoming increasingly secular. And the idea that, that those kind of any kind of religious reference is taboo in our society, that's a bad sign for our society. And so there's that side of the coin. Yeah. The other side of the coin is... I don't really care to have the Ten Commandments posted on the courthouse square anyway. Because, you know, commandment number four there says to keep the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. And I don't, and I don't even think that's right. You know, we're not, we're not obligated by that law. Uh, and so uh, I think it's a two-sided coin. I, I suppose that I'm upset about such things only in the sense that they, they represent, represent, God they represent the secularization of our yeah. society. Yeah. Uh, Kent says secularism has become so rampant in our society, I can understand why individuals become upset over the removal of the Ten Commandments in public venues. I like to use this as an opportunity to present the truth of God as to the fact that the Old Testament has been abrogated uh, by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I also stress that this this same mindset of secularism strongly opposes New Testament Christianity and our religious freedom as given to us by the U.S. Constitution. We, therefore, as individuals, have every right to make use of every legal means to oppose those who seek to destroy our right to freedom of following the New Testament of Christ. <coughs> Dwight, Dwight, Dwight says, at this point in life, I don't know if I want a secular person teaching any religion to my child in school. Even if the Ten Commandments were removed from the walls of a school or public building, it is the parent's responsibility to bring up the child, Ephesians 6, verse 4. I'm not saying it's bad to have the scriptures posted in public places, but it's my understanding we're to study God's word, the Bible, uh, then it's then we are to teach the world. In doing this, we can then teach people we're no longer under the law of Moses, but the new law. We can teach people that we should be thankful to live under the new law and show them why. So he's, I think he's sort of echoing what Kent said. You know, 
Yeah, if the Ten Commandments are there, it may give us a chance to do a little teaching. And Daniel says we are to keep the Nine Commandments uh, because they are repeated. Luke 4, verse 8, 1 John 5, 21, 1 Timothy 6, 1, Ephesians 6, 2, Romans 1, 29 through 32, Ephesians 4, 28. We should be concerned that the commandments are of God are honored. The law of Moses is no longer to be kept to please God. So okay. he has that same idea that you, if, it, it is, if it's being done to dishonor God or to take him out of society, then that's bad. But we're not under those uh, Ten Commandments. Yeah. Today. Yeah. All right. We made it right under the wire. Look at there. We did. Kyle, we have uh, not gotten many comments from you tonight. Yeah. Uh, anything on that side of the board? No, it's a good study. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It was a good study. I think it's just, it was a lot of good thoughts there. I hope good questions. I mean, yeah. Hope people yeah. are getting um, religious. Keep sending in the questions. Minded, so. Yeah, keep sending in the questions. Yeah, absolutely. So, Kyle, thanks for being here tonight. Yeah, it was good. Dad, thanks for your time tonight. Thank it, you, It Jacob. was a good discussion. Our listeners did come through for us. We appreciate that and hope you'll do that again. If you have any time, any kind of question comes to mind, it doesn't have to be just when we make a call for it and just send it in. You keep the stack going. So at any time you, know, you had a discussion, someone asked a question, maybe you thought you answered them. You wanted to make sure you answered them correctly, or maybe you didn't know the answer, or you just think it was a good question to hear uh, discussed. Uh, send it in questions at collegeview.com. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's word on this week's edition. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the virtual Bible study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word, the Bible and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the college view church of Christ. The college view church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the college view church of Christ on Sunday mornings at nine 30 and on Sunday evenings at six o'clock. The college view church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at seven o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the college, College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.